Welcome to another episode of 353rd. I'm Scott Barstow. And I'm Anders Brownworth. How are you today, Anders? Good, pretty good. It's a little rainy here, but uh, all good up in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. How are things down in Raleigh? Things are great. Uh, it's been a busy week, but I'm really excited about today's show. Excellent. As am I. We've got a lot to talk about. We do. Let's jump right in. Um, we usually start the show with kind of a rewind of the last week's news and an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal this week that said that one in five Americans smoke. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's, it's a, unbelievable. It's a high number. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this and uh, we were talking about, you know, what are the, I would be interesting to see what the demographics are yeah. for for the smoking community. Um, and I thought you brought up an interesting point. You know, they also, the Surgeon General also released new warnings this week, and I believe it's the final cigarette warnings that they're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. what, are your, what, are, what were your thoughts on that? And this kind of ties into our talk uh, a few weeks ago about cell phone radiation and our cell phones, the new cigarettes. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly think that the you know, the cigarette company is in the later stages of what I think cell companies will go into. Uh, and I'm sitting here imagining, I think these uh, graphic warnings are, you know, a picture does speak a thousand words. I think they're, they probably are over the line. Although having said one in five smoke in the U.S., I would have pegged that more like one in 25 or something, given my friends and people I know. But uh uh, you know, it, it, I sit here imagining what the pictures of, you know, brain cancer are going to look like for the cell phone industry. It's going to be plastered on the back of your cell phone as a picture of a hole in somebody's head or something. Um, it's certainly that's I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean, uh, I don't I don't have a problem trying not to smoke. Uh, obviously, many do. And uh, I don't know that they don't realize smoking is bad for them. I realize it kind of shows you in a more, much more visceral way. I don't know. I, what do you think? You know, I think that, uh, I think anymore, it's not the, the plight of ignorance and not knowing that what I was going to get into when I started smoking, I think that falls on deaf ears anymore. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, when you start, even if you start smoking at 15, um, you know, at that point that it's just not something you should be doing. Yeah. Anyway, I, but the to me, just the abs, the statistic absolutely floored me. One yeah. in five. That's crazy. I, is that one in five people have tried a cigarette once in their lives? Because I could believe that. I, the way it read was it's one in five Americans smoke, not yeah. have tried smoking, not yeah. had smoked at one point in their lives. That's it's a it was a current statistic. Yeah. Wow, that's it's crazy. That's just crazy. Yeah. So interesting news yesterday. That the uh, the famed Winklevoss twins, <laughs> yes, are, from the movie, <laughs> yes, from the Social Network movie, are dropping their appeal to the Supreme Court. What are your thoughts? I, I think, I mean, you know, certainly given the the tenor of the movie, it's about time. Uh, I just think they they realize they they can't win it. Um, you know, that, that's my call. I, I I don't think they're they're. Uh, you know, realizing enough is enough. I think this is much more a calculated decision. I don't know. Yeah, I think that uh, my opinion is that, you know, they're going to be rich anyway. I mean, they've got this Facebook stock. They got a, what was a $20 million settlement or something like that um, initially, a cash settlement plus stock. And I just, I can't imagine that the Supreme Court would give them, you know, five minutes of their time. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like such a waste. Yeah, and 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 to be honest with you, I don't. I think you could make the case that uh, okay, maybe they had something to do with the idea. Depends on you know. It's there's never really been a whole lot of clarity around who did what. Um, yeah. Obviously, you've got the movie that tells one side of the story, and even if that's partially true, I think you can make the case that if it even if it had been their idea and they carry it forward, it's probably not what it is today. Yeah. 
Yeah. A large part of why it's successful is because of the guy that did it. Yeah, it's the, it's the actual plugging and chugging and kind of dodging and weaving that goes along with running a, you know, starting, doing a startup. Um, how, do you have any idea how much these guys got? I mean, they already got some kind of huge payout, didn't they? Um, they did. Yeah, I, I don't remember the number. Yeah. I know that they still hold a sizable amount of – they've got some Facebook private stock or something like that. Right, yeah. And, well. uh, and then I, I know they got a cash settlement as well, which was not inconsequential. I think yeah. the number that rings true for me is $20 million, but yeah. I could just be making that up. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. I, it's, hard to, it's hard to see anything pass now as purely just grabbing at, uh, uh, you know – just opportunity other than, you know, saying that all the work I did in my, you know, this idea, the work I did to come up with this idea is now suddenly worth $20 million or whatever. It's, it's, that's a harder and harder argument to, to stretch. I think, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, if you had told them, uh, you know, when they, when they came up with the idea that, look, you're going to get $10 million out of this, they probably would jump for joy. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is a lot about greed. Yeah. Moving on, yes. there was an interesting article in All Things D this week yeah. about the fact that consumers are not flocking to stores to buy the new tablets from whichever company is coming, whether it's the Samsung Galaxy Tab or the new RIM Playbook. Um, it turns out that consumers aren't really interested in tablets. They're interested in the iPad. You're kidding me. I know. Can you believe that? Shocking. This is heresy. How is this possible? <laughs> don't they just want a new uh, form factor? Yeah, I, I, I was stunned that they don't just want you know something cheaper that's got more bells and whistles, that's got maybe a smaller screen. Uh, I was stunned by that news. Yeah, I, I can tell shocking. you more as well. Shocking. Yes, I mean it's it's unbelievable. And uh, you know wh- what is the iPad? It's a closed ecosystem. Why would you want that, right? So, exactly. Uh, yeah. No. Exactly. I, yeah. It's. it's uh, this is not surprising at all. I, I, it, it's almost it's almost like watching a slow motion train accident. Some of these uh, uh, quote tablets unquote that are coming out, uh, they're they're obviously just repurposed X Y or Z platform, uh, trying to uh, you know capitalize on the momentum of a a form factor. And the the fact of the matter is, the form factor well part of it is not the story the it's it's a it's a, a totally different take on uh an interface so you can't take a, a mouse driven interface one of the reasons why flash doesn't work well as a as an idea on uh on a touch base uh interface because it's effectively made for a keyboard and a mouse it's made to respond to mouse over events. There is no such thing as mouse over. So you, it's hard to take operating systems that already exist that are built for other types of input methods and, and make it work for this. And I think that's kind of bearing out here. Um, yeah, I think the, what, what was interesting to me is that, you know, and you and I talked about this before, that the RIM, uh, whatever the heck that thing's called. Playbook, play, I think. The playbook. Yeah. The... the primary ad campaign for the playbook is that it plays flash yeah good luck with that as your if that's your lead yeah i mean have fun have fun with that one but here's the other thing with the playbook i mean this was a device that that doesn't have email from the company that was the personal communications giant company rim yeah i mean they pioneered email mobile email they pioneered mobile you know, kind of digital communication that mm-hmm. has a phone, and they're they're basically bringing a a knife to a gunfight here, where the uh, the rest of the world is is giving you smartphones, little mini computers that walk around in your pocket. There's a yeah. huge, there is a chasm of difference between those two ideas, and I think that's why Rim is uh, is in such terrible shape right now. Um, I know they're trying to lean on. Uh, remote like uh, you know overseas markets and it still remains strong there but you have to understand that the uh u.s is uh kind of a you know just tells you what's going to happen in the rest of the world uh eventually in terms of adoption so it's it seems like uh uh well it also seems to me dubious that you have a company here with two ceos 
Yes. Uh, yeah, that, you, and you've brought that up before. Yeah. But as a as an interesting corollary to that story, as you know, Rim released their second quarter uh, earnings last yeah. week, and uh, major losses. And as a follow on to that, uh, they are going to be laying off uh, some significant part of their workforce, and and large part because they're just getting crushed. And the playbook came out and has had anemic adoption um, and there and so they just don't seem to be able to right now be able to get out of the ditch so here's my question to you is there any company that benefits by buying rim hmm that is an interesting question I think the uh, hmm. I see I don't think so I don't think so either because the, it's such a proprietary technology. It, it is. What do they have that you and want? Here, yeah, and here's the thing that makes EBM? it. I don't know. I think you. The only thing you get is you get you know a you get a set of customers. Yeah. yeah. But but those but, customers can migrate without you buying the company. Yeah. All you've got to do is say, hey, if you. I mean, another approach would be, uh, if, look, if you got a BlackBerry, we'll give you an iPhone, or yeah. we'll give you this, or we'll give you that. You know, okay. trade trade in your BlackBerry, and and then you the migration happens without having to buy the company. I just don't sure. think I, I don't think anybody's interested in it. Right, I, I I certainly wouldn't be. I mean, you know, you've got to, there's got to be some interesting people there, but the the problem is a long term mindset that that you're going to have a hard time getting around. Uh, yep. I'm sure there's great RF engineers and there's great you know people in in various levels of that. I'm sure they're great. And and that's maybe the value here. And maybe there's some patent portfolio. I have no idea. But whatever. In any case, yeah, whatever. Rim is just, I mean, it's a slow motion train wreck. Uh, it's just, it's fun to watch. But <laughs> anyway, so this devolved from the tablet discussion. Did it we, really did. <laughs> that, that was, how did that happen? So, so we have like Acer and we've got all these other companies that are trying to, and you just, this is the other thing about tablets. You remember uh, Bomber when he got up there the first time? He was calling them slates. Yes. Remember that? I do. <laughs> the slate. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not a it's not a slate anymore. I think that might go down in a uh, balmerism on on YouTube or something as another Yeah, joke. he's got he's got about 15 of those. Uh you know, the iPhone will never work, oh, you know, that's brilliant. whatever whatever the he's got like six or eight of those quotes that uh yeah. he will live to, he will never live down. Yeah, he the problem with him is he he understands how to uh, fight against certain kinds of companies. Google, for example, he understands the business model. He understands what drives them, how sales happen, everything. Th- that's the kind of company that he can go after, and, and I think he is. Uh, he doesn't know how to compete with Apple. Apple nope. is a, a you know creatively driven company. Almost is totally alien to what he's doing. So he doesn't know how to fight against that. So uh, uh, and I, I would argue, I think. Google might be – they're certainly a lot closer to Microsoft but slightly in the middle there. Yeah, uh, I agree. So, yeah. So I noticed, I noticed in your, in your uh, Twitter feed this week that you had gotten an automatic Skype upgrade and I could, I could just feel the, oh. uh, the sense of thrill and uh, – and, and, and loathing. <laughs> <laughs> I did. So, my, my, so I got Skype 5 for the Mac. We're all Mac guys here so got skype 5 for the mac uh, a while ago it, it took everything from the windows interface and uh and you know which was terrible and moved it into the mac so i rolled back to four and i had that going and everything was cool and i walk up to my mac pro one day and there's skype and it's you know said it's re-download the new you know, version and, uh, you know, and, and here we are, you know, do I want to restart? And so I had to do the thing. Turns out that actually is a, there's a setting in preferences that say automatically check for updates, saying nothing about automatically installing the new update, but unchecking that seems to have stopped it. And thankfully I do have a copy of the old, you know, Skype 4 DMG. So I'm able to get back to a reasonable interface. The problem with the interface now that we're on it is it, it is not good in terms of screen real estate. It takes up way too much. It's also Agreed. confusing to me about how conversations go. It, the, the older interface where you had a, a, a list on the left and you pick the guy and you see the conversation on the right and that's the conversation window and you can click it and get rid of it. 
yep. was a much more interesting thing. So all you're left with is your Skype list. You can't have that Skype list now unless you take the Skype 5 interface and slide it off the screen so only the list is is visible but then you can't get to the keyboard or whatever you know it's just it's not good yeah it's a mess and i don't i the thing that drives me crazy is that you used to be able to just right click and say view conversation history for a contact ah right yeah and it would it would you know remember it would pop you up an html page and you could just do a quick you know apple f or whatever and search and look dig through it and now i cannot figure out where that's gone yeah i've tried to find it probably 16 times yeah, how do you how do you search for something in a? In I don't know, and and the, and even if you can search for it, the thing that drives me insane is that when you do search for it in their search window now, which I'm sure is so, I I have to believe their thinking was, look, we don't want to take you out to this web page where you got to search manually. We'll you know manually, we'll give you search right in the window. Yeah, great. Okay, that's great. So when I search, it shows me the conversations that have the search text that I'm looking for. Yeah. But then I can't drill into that part of the conversation. Yeah. You're just, it's, it's so frustrating. Yeah, yeah. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable to me how, how this got by. Yeah, I, I don't know. They, it's, it's, it's stunning because usually this company is so good about um, to just turning out quality stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really the first time, in my opinion, they've stubbed their toe. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. Uh, so uh, other in, uh, in other news this week, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, oh my word. Serious problems. Yeah, big uh, time. Tell, tell us what happened. Yeah, so uh, Mt. Gox, which is a uh, an exchange, you can turn dollars into Bitcoins and Bitcoins into dollars, uh, you, you would normally say was hacked. It wasn't really hacked. What happened is a uh, there was an uh, independent auditor who had read-only access to the database who had a copy of that database, and that guy was hacked. How I don't know. Uh, the read-only version of the uh, emails and and passwords and account information effect- effectively got out. Now the they had a couple of months ago migrated to a a salted MD5 hash, which means a m- much harder to crack than a standard MD5 hash uh, password scheme. But you could, if you have one of these, uh, if you have an account on Mount Gox. And you are using a password and obviously your email address and and it happens to be the same elsewhere, yeah. you need to change it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the big caution coming out was look, if you know if you use this password you're using here for your banks or whatever else, yeah. um, you need to start changing that stuff straight away. And what was that other there was another there's been a couple of these big uh, uh, basically very simple SQL injection uh, attacks that have exposed large uh, databases of users and passwords, and one of them, I think it was like, wasn't in Gadget. Was that other company that that? What was that company that broke the pictures of the iPhone four? Uh, oh, um, I forget. Oh, anyway, I can't remember. those guys they lost their their uh, database, and that got out in the uh, the live. And those all those passwords were apparently in the clear, and you could just it was crazy. You downloaded this thing, and you could just pick a person at random and you know with a gmail address and log into their account so this this kind of thing is happening more and more and and i mean it's not constrained to just bitcoin it it it's kind of all over the place and it, it rings true that you should not have the same password on on any site you shouldn't do that yeah and, just, and but if you get into that the problem with that of course is that you can never remember what password you're using on a, on a particular given site okay. unless you True, so, but there there are things you can do, um, like you can take the uh, domain name and take a few letters from it and use that, or reverse you know a few letters from it, reverse the first three letters from it, or something like that. I mean, there are things you can do that are easy to remember that that are sufficiently obfuscated. I would argue. Yeah, I think you're right. You could have your own kind of cipher. Yeah, essentially, right. And and you could you know take the first three letters, add a you know add a letter that's five letters from the last letter you sure. saw, whatever it is, you know yeah. put a number and take the the last day of today or whatever it is. You could have your own kind of little yeah, cipher you can there. do something like that. And the other thing you can do, which which is uh, I think very unheralded at this point, is use different email addresses for every service. And if yes. you have a Gmail account, you can just say, you know, for example, I'm Anders94 at Gmail. You can just say Anders94 plus 
you know, name of the site at Gmail. Yes. Yeah. And that way, one, I mean, you know, you might be able to easily figure out from site to site that, oh, he's just putting the, the site name in. But that takes some intelligent human interaction, not something that a computer is generally going to figure out. Yeah, so, and that's really all you need. You need just that, just that little bit of, uh, you know, the, if it requires a human, they're going to go past it. Yep. Um, and so if it, yep. it's got to be machine crackable. Yeah, low-hanging fruit is going to be definitely taken out. It's going to be the unwashed masses. So yeah. if, you, if you have any sort of, of obfuscation, no matter how simple, even if it's just one character – It'll, mm-hmm. it that'll do it. That'll 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 safeguard you from the overwhelming majority of attacks, and yep. probably you know it's all the security you need. In yep. any case, so Bitcoin, yeah, it's taken a couple. So what happened is is this uh, uh, account uh, log got out, and then whomever it was that stole this info uh, got there, uh, reversed maybe uh, a couple of the accounts. And then started doing transfers, bulk yes. transfers of Bitcoin, which yep. made the uh, the Bitcoin uh, the value of a Bitcoin crash. Uh, I think it was uh, you know well under a dollar at one point. Um, hmm. So, I mean, uh, the number that comes to mind was like seventeen cents or something like this. So just drastically down, and uh, suddenly you know you had all these trades going on that were in an effectively unnatural territory. So yeah. what Mt. Gox has done ha- is uh, seized everything, and they this I think this happened last Saturday, and then they, they sent out an email to everybody, said, look, this all happened, everything is down, we'll let you know when it comes up, and it took them forever to get the thing up, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, they, uh, they reversed all the transactions that, that you know, happened in the, in the very low bottoms of the... Uh, uh, you know, currency, which which is an interesting development because you could argue that Mt. Gox is similar to a central bank. Yes. And and this is monetary policy in its most elemental form being executed. Yeah. Uh, so it brings up some very interesting. I mean, if you're if you're into a completely open exchange and and Wild West, whatever happens, happens you're going to be against, you have to be against this. Agreed. Even, even though some perfectly valid guy got money stolen from him. So it, it brings up an interesting yeah, you know, can, thing. Can you, have a, can you have a monetary policy that, does, that doesn't have a central bank effectively at the middle of it? Can, can I, it exist? Yeah, don't think so because most yeah. people are arguing that this was a good idea. Yes, exactly. And, and most people want that level of assurity yeah. that look, there's somebody mining the store. Sure, I mean, you know, if you put in, if you have like 500 bucks or something, no big deal, whatever. I mean, it's not inconsequential amount of money, but you know, so you lose it all. You're, you're not going to change your lifestyle if right. you have half a million dollars in Bitcoin, like that guy did last week. We talked about yes. I, the, you know, you want some assurances. That is your that's that's life savings. Yep, I and mean, then you get into legislation. At some point, yeah. it has to be legislated, even if it's the legislation of the community, a la open source. You still have you still, still legislation. You still have legislation at Agreed. the at the center of it. So anyway, yeah, good good, st- good stuff. So yeah. I, uh, I, it would have been more interesting if the Mt. Gox guys had left everybody a voicemail. But it's my contention, of course, <laughs> that nobody's leaving voicemail anymore. Voicemail, voicemail is dead. Scott Barstow says voicemail is dead. Yes, so I, sir. So you got to – why? Nobody's leaving vo- – why? What do, you, what do you mean? So here's, here's, here's my take on it. The, I, I was thinking about it this week because I had a good friend of mine actually leave me a voicemail. Yeah. And it was probably two minutes long. And I looked at it on my phone. I was like, I'm not listening to that message. I'm just going <laughs> yeah. to delete it and call him back. Yeah. And so I called him back and he said, well, did you listen to my voicemail? And I said, no. I <laughs> said, that, I'm, call- I'm calling you back. I saw you called. I'm calling you back. And that was good enough. And that was good enough. And, and so I guess my feeling is that, and I, I don't know of the, let's say I talk to a hundred people in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet I don't leave, I bet. One of them would leave me a voicemail. One. Wow. Well, so here's a question. Did you, was your friend, you know, pissed off that you hadn't listened to his voicemail? No. 
Okay, he so he just wanted to know. So the the purely by the fact of you having seen there was a missed call, you would call someone back. Yep. If I know who it is, I'll call them back if they didn't leave me a voicemail. Right. And furthermore, I think my so my typical course of action is I, if I if I feel like I need to call you, I'll call you. Yeah. And if I don't get you for whatever reason, I'll either text you. Uh-huh. Or I'll right. say, look, I try, or I'll send you an email and say, look, I tried to call you. Here's what I needed to talk about. Call me back when you can. Right. There has to be an alternate here. So, so uh, uh, texting, I think, and, and certainly to to some degree, email is it. When yes. you when you leave a voicemail, you always, you know, call me back five 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 one two three four. That's five 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 one two. Why are you repeating that? It's you because know, somebody's got to scratch it down, and it's a pain in the butt, right? right? So, so that so you got that. So that's that's there's a better experience there with text and email, yeah, right? And and if I've got other pertinent details, hey, I'm gonna you know meet me at the such and such a place at seven yeah. o'clock. Okay, Fifth I got to I got to re- I got to replay that. Well, now where was that? Yeah, you I know, have no what street idea. So is that on? Now you know? you're now you're in the subway and you're trying to get to wherever it was, and you got to play it back, and you can't hear your yeah. phone. It's just much easier to read it. Yep. Okay, yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with you there. Voice of voicemail is dead. That's very yeah. interesting. You heard it here first. We heard it, yeah, that's right. I certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. We'll see how that goes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch what happens. I'm going to stop leaving voice. One of the things I had done is cut my voicemail uh, greeting down as long, as short as possible. Yes. Because nobody needs to know, leave your name and number at the beep. I mean, yeah, who hello. doesn't know that? Yeah. Yeah, really? if you if you don't leave me your number, then you're a complete idiot. Yeah, the only thing I, you need to know is I'm not here. Leave a message. Bye. And so this gets to my point. Yeah. So if if the only thing you're leaving me is your number, I already have your number. Yeah. Sure. And I already know that you called because I have a missed call. So why do I need your voice on my phone just telling so me that, that you, you have called? to listen to? Yeah. 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 It's it's just retarded. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. Voicemail's agreed. dead. Got it. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. So you you were reading a you're reading a book called You Are Not a Gadget. It was yes. And uh, so talk about the premise of the book, and uh, and then uh, let's dig into what it all means. Yeah. So so uh, you are not a gadget is a book by it's, it's essentially a book that says uh, the the hive mind the the Wikipedia's and and all these kind of uh, you know, aggregating the cloud opinion, the group opinion for of things is incredibly hard to fight against when it's wrong because it's sort of self-reinforcing. Uh, so there, there is the, the whole premise of the book has, has to do with your, you're not uh, a digital uh, uh, memory here. You, you, you are, you have humanity and you have, Interesting things going on. You you are you are more than a than a, a tiny piece of a collective here. You're an individual, uh, and it's lamenting in a sense the loss of uh, being an individual. But one of the things he went on to uh, support this premise with was th- he was saying that there's less creativity nowadays. And this this uh, guy is a musician, and he. Uh, grew up in the 60s and there's a lot of uh, music going on, a lot of musical experimentation, new forms showing up. And he saw new forms through the 70s and it kind of started to peter out in the 80s. And then there's, uh, you know, hip hop. And then since then, it's all been like retro and just kind of throwbacks. And nowadays you have this uh, uh, mix culture where People are taking all these really old retro things and they're taking movies and they're remixing them and, and blah, blah, blah. And there's nothing new is his argument. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I think, I think uh, you know, everything is a remix. Everything. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's very if you even if you go back to let's let's look at the the great artists, um, you know, of the of the 15th century or something like that. Yeah. Even those guys were were as you like to say, standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, uh, they were. They were they were working either being taught by the giants of the previous generation, or they were looking at their work and tweaking it this way or that way. Yeah. Um, but this is to me, this is how art evolves. Yeah, agreed. They, 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 the actual 
creative move is a is a very small and and uh, oftentimes hard to sense in the big grand scheme of things, uh, and it it pushes the the status quo maybe a little bit farther down the road. But it's not these revolutionary enormous leaps that you think of. Uh, I, I I would argue that a, a an iPhone which is you know, seemingly this enormous leap was really just a bunch of small creative moves and and the ability to kind of unshackle from what the standard definition of a cell phone was to to allow it to move to a certain place. It actually was a collection of small moves. It wasn't this, you know, major, you know, blowout. And even at that, I mean, it's just building on a cell phone and it's building on uh, you know, a computer in your pocket or email or, or whatever your, your premise is. So the point is, everything starts from uh, whatever the status quo. Here, here's, here's the thing. Back in the day, remember, uh, what is it, 1978, whenever it was, Jaws came out. Jaws was a, you know, kind of the first blockbuster movie. It's like this revolutionary thing. I mean, it was hailed as being so creative, you couldn't see the shark until the very end. And, you know, you didn't see the shark till the very end because they didn't have enough money and they didn't build the shark. Turned out being a great thing, right? But this was just a an evolutionary move. And you watch Jaws today and you say, yeah, it's just a little, you know, rubber shark, uh, you know, fake shark rolling around in the water. It's no big deal. But when you go back and you look at it from the lens of what existed then, it was a revolutionary movie in terms of in terms of moves. Okay, we we look back on it, we see all kinds of uh, holes in it, but it's it's uh, uh, you know the technology of the time they moved it one step past, and that's it. And then yeah. there's an interesting yeah. video about if you go to everything is a remix info. Uh, there there is a, a documentary that's currently in progress. It is a four part documentary, and parts one through three are out actually part three having to do with uh, uh movies just came out uh this past week so it's a fantastic thing i very much urge you to go watch those videos they're maybe 10 minutes uh, a piece and it's very poignant in how it demonstrates very clearly that uh things are are you know these this remix culture is not a new thing it's just a much more visible thing now yeah, my take on this is 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 as follows. I think that uh, so you, if you look at whether it was artists or music, uh, certainly in the music in the '60s or in the '70s or or in that era, you had these blockbuster bands. Yeah. Whether it was Led Zeppelin or Van Halen or uh, you know certainly in the '80s, I guess you would put U2 in that in that category that emerged and you know were put their stamp on a decade yeah and and i guess the but you also probably had in that same time period you know hundreds of other bands that were as good yeah and these guys it's not to take anything away from them they just they got the break they got seen by the right people and i it's my it's my opinion that the democratization of art mm-hmm. is we are all better off for it so yeah. if you look at a guy like uh, Hugh McLeod of Gaping Void, for instance, mm-hmm. fantastic artist. He draws on the back of business cards for his, <laughs> for his artwork. And he's I don't know how much money he makes, but I, I'm pretty sure he's doing all right. Yeah. That guy in the 60s has no exposure beyond, you know, New York City. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where he, you know, where so he, you know, he migrated, mm-hmm. uh, migrated from the UK to New York City. He probably never makes it out of the advertising business in the '60s, and today he's got a platform where he can distribute his art with very little friction. Yeah, and I think the same is true of you know when we were in uh, when we were at South by Southwest, we saw bands that you and I had never heard of that were fantastic. Agreed. You know, we we went that night to see the Limousines, fantastic band. I've since bought some of their music. Um, and would I have ever even heard of them in the sixties? I dare, I dare say no. Yeah. And yeah. they would have, they would have been irrelevant. So I guess my, my thing is, um, okay, yes, you do get a, you, we probably have more copycat 
kind of things happening today just because it's so easy to see something and knock it off or hear something and knock it off and take you know take this little bit from this from this music and mix it with that little bit over there and now I've got a new song that I can call my own but really isn't my own yeah. so I, I I get the argument I guess my feeling is that it's it rings hollow to me yeah do you think the pace has a uh, has uh, picked up then I think the pace has picked up certainly yeah um, yeah I agree. and 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 I think that you know there's certainly you know, but I, and the pace is both good and bad. There's lots of new things coming on the scene all the time, but there's probably quality things that are being pushed to the sidelines all the time because of all uh, the cruft. Yeah, I mean, just because of the noise. Yeah, yeah, the noise floor is definitely a lot higher. You, 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 or I should say, lower. You, you have to sift through a whole bunch of garbage before you get something. But on the on the flip side. If the the hive mind doesn't go back and 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 find the the project and and highlight it and call it to other people's attention within some certain time, it's pretty much consigned to oblivion forever. Yep. That's that's the other that's the other thing here. I mean, you know. But I don't think that's really new. I mean, I don't think that there's no, probably no. That's not new. But there, when when you have so much more, or the pace is quickened. You need, you know, you know, you need to see a lot more because a lot more is really good. Yes. Right. So, so, yeah. so I think stuff of higher quality is being ignored today than before, largely because of the pace. I, I mean, think that I think that's probably true. It's also there because of the pace. You know, it's right. able to show up because of the pace, but it's also ignored. So that just pushes the bar higher. You know, because yeah. we we can't sit here consuming content all day. We have to yeah. actually create something and go to work. So, yeah, exactly. And yeah. you and you've got to have you know you've, whatever your filter is, whether it's the people that you pay attention to in your social in your social graph or whatever it is. You yeah. have these filters that sort of bring this stuff to you, and it's uh, to use just a, a word that I hate, but it's it's curated to some extent by the the circles that you run in. So yeah. Uh, so I'm, I don't have to see everything because I know that I've got people that I'm paying attention to yeah. that are going to bring stuff in front of me that I'll probably care about. Which is exactly why Twitter is is on such a roll right now. I agree. Yeah. So one one thing I think that we can probably agree on is that the movie Dead Poet Society would have been a good movie in 1968 <laughs> or 1989 when it was actually made. Yes, Absolutely. Great movie. So to set this movie up, the uh, <clears throat> this movie was filmed in Middleton, Delaware at St. Andrew's School. The movie uh, was released in 1989 and um, directed by Peter Weir. The main protagonist in this movie is, a char- is the character Neil Perry, played by Robert Sean Leonard, uh, who's this guy? Who's this? You know, seventeen-year-old kid that's being just absolutely run over by his father. <laughs> uh, his father is a. Uh, you get the sense that you know this school that where the where the movie takes place is a school for the society is elite, and yeah. uh, Neil Perry has shown up to school. His dad has worked you know hard to get him in, and is convinced that Neil needs to be a doctor, even though Neil doesn't need to be a doctor. And uh, the movie sort of revolves around this character who's the who's the tragic uh tragic hero in the in the story totally but. believable though i mean you know i i can see this so a little bit of background i grew up and my my parents taught at a uh a private boarding uh high school so i i i totally understand this uh totally believable at the time i mean presumably this what this took place in the in the fifties, maybe That's, the late fifties. Yeah, I think it's the late fifties or yeah, early sixties somewhere there. Yeah, yeah, and you got and you got everybody, you know, everybody smoking everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I think it's that's the that's I don't think they ever say. Yeah, I think it's the nineteen fifties. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, very interesting. I mean, this uh, this uh, location, by the way, it's it's you know anywhere in, uh, New England uh, as a location, but granted, of course. Delaware is not really what you would consider New England, right? But, but it uh, does have it. They've done, the school has a provides a great setting for the movie because really you, you never. I would have never guessed that the school is in Delaware. Yeah, um, that the setting is actually in Delaware. But yeah. so you've got these, uh, you know, six or seven boys that are that are uh, you know hormone driven, uh, <clears throat> generally rich 
coming from very well families, very well-off families, and they're all sort of going along and you know following in the footsteps of their parents. So if if your dad was a lawyer, it's assumed that you're going to be a lawyer. If your dad's a doctor, you know you, it's it's presumed that you'll go to some Ivy League school and become a doctor. And then John Keating, the teacher in this movie, shows up on the scene. And changes these kids' lives. Yeah, played by by Robin Williams. So these kids were uh, every single one of them was it had some Hellraiser in them. And John Keating, who's the teacher, had gone to the school a long time ago and and uh, uh, participated in this thing that they call Dead Poet Society. But uh, each one of them had. I mean, the the whole thing was it was carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. And so they would uh, do this by going to this cave in the middle of nowhere and kind of reading poetry and, and figuring out their, you know, various, uh, you know, lives, various things going on with their lives. One guy, Knox Overstreet. I love the names, by the way. Knox Overstreet. You can totally, totally see this guy named yeah, Knox that's a, that's, that To me, that's the best name in the movie. It is. It's, just, it. <laughs> it's like the quintessential kind of upper crust and Northeastern name. It is. It is. And then he, he they, they, they end up calling him Noxious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's a great character as well. He, he falls in love with in uh, love. with this girl, Chris, yeah. uh, who he just can't stop thinking about and writes poems for her. And one of my favorite scenes is when he shows up at Chris's, oh, Chris's high school. Oh, it hurts so much. And, and, you know, takes, he's got the flowers in his hand and he's, you know, he's chasing her down the hall and he chases her into her, into her, uh, into her room, into her homeroom. And, and, you know, all just to read her the poem that he's written for. And and she's just so embarrassed, you know, she she just wants him to go and he won't go. And, and it's just great. They had guts. I mean, you know, that's, that takes a lot to do when you're in high school, you know? Yep. To, to to stand up to that, you got to understand that that was a tense situation. I mean, he had a hard time kind of getting around to calling him on the phone, so uh, calling her on the phone. Anyway, there. So there's there's a lot like Meeks, like these names. I'm just reading through these names: Meeks, yep. Mr. Pitts, <laughs> Todd Henderson, Todd Henderson, uh, Ethan Hawke. Uh, yeah, very young in this movie, very early. I think oh this may have probably his breakout movie. I think so. Uh, I don't remember him in movies before this, but he yeah. certainly was, you know, uh, just a, a great character, this timid, yeah. uh, you know, his brother is a legend at the school, graduated summa cum laude. Um, that just and, makes it worse. Oh, it's and horrible. So he, he shows up, he's a freshman at the school, and he's just, you know, completely overwhelmed, scared to death. <laughs> and he ends up, and he ends up rooming with Neil Perry, who's the central character of the movie. Yeah. And you know Neil's just trudging along, gets inspired by. Neil uh, takes him under his wing. Neil, yeah, absolutely like, does. He treats him like a you know he's really good to him, includes him in everything he's doing, won't let him just sit there and be a bump. It's amazing, yeah. And and you know I, I see I see a lot of parallels to uh, uh, Todd Henderson and how I was and when I was in high school, I was a you know I was like a really shy kid. So uh, you know, and I had a guy like that that. Kind of said, look, every time I see you, I'm going to say hi. And right. believe it or not, it really kind of got me out of out of my shell. And and I think uh, you know uh, Neil Perry was was quite a bit of that to Todd. I mean, the whole thing was about how Todd, I think, comes out of his shell and you know ends up at the very end of the movie in the standing sequence. You know, leading that whole thing, get up on your desk and and. Anyway, if you haven't seen this movie, you got to see this movie because yeah, I'm kind I thought, of giving uh, it away. So, uh, favorite scenes from the movie, uh, I think, uh, concerning Todd Anderson, certainly for me was when he's when they're supposed to re- write poetry and read it aloud in class. Oh my word! And he uh, shows yeah. up in class and hasn't done the assignment. Yeah. So so. And- and instead of you know saying oh well that's you know I'm going to give you demerits or I'm going to you know do this or that, John Keating says, okay, I'm going to put you in front of the class. And I'm going to have you, you know, he, he points him at, at Walt Whitman and asks him what he sees. And uh, he sees a, twi- a sweaty toothed madman. Yeah, sweaty toothed madman. <laughs> and he starts spinning him in circles and just has him absolutely, you know, riff on whatever he's feeling. And it completely trans, you know, Todd Anderson goes from this shy little kid to like 
Okay, I okay, get it. I can do this. So, so the filming of this poem, this this whole thing that brings him out of his shell right here, sort of in the beginning of the movie, is it is what separates Robin Williams and Ethan Hawke's performance from the ordinary. Um, not that doing doing that scene once is necessarily. Uh, hard, but doing it on call when the camera's rolling, uh, you know, coordinating the camera, walking around and around you, that's what's amazing. They, they, they both called up an amazing performance on cue. Like, I don't know how the guy didn't trip over a wire or like, or what. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know either. Circles. But it was incredible. Really yeah. well done. Yeah, and he, and at the end of it, he sort of emerges. You know, he takes his hands off his eyes and looks up, and and the mm-hmm. whole class erupts with applause. Yeah, and he's all. And at that point, he's arrived. Yeah, yeah. He and realizes. so, uh, you know, so the the story sort of leads towards this, uh, towards the seminal moment of the movie where Neil Perry, of course, has uh, he has uh, taken a part in a Midsummer Night's Dream uh, at a local at, in the community um, theater company. And so he plays the part of Puck, and he go he goes uh, after being inspired by Mr. Keating. He tries out for this part, and uh, you know types a types a letter of authorization from his father. Forges <laughs> forges the letter of authorization. Told you they're hellraisers. That's right, and and gets into this play, gets the lead part, and uh, and not too long after that, his dad shows up at school. Um, asking why in the world he's forged his signature and there's no way that you're going to be able to continue this. You need to quit. Even though the play is the next night. Right. And so Neil, uh, of course, is distraught and goes to see Mr. Keating the next day about, well, what should I do? You know, my dad says that I can't, I can't continue. And, of course, Mr. Keating, uh, uh, you know, encourages him to talk to his father. Well, he says, well, what do you want to do? Right. And then, right. then he becomes passionate about what he wants to do right and and then so keating just says well have you told your dad that yes have you given him the same impassioned plea yeah that you just gave me and he says no you know my dad would never listen to me yeah and he says well how do you know and and so he convinces him at least while sitting there to talk to his father and we find out of course that he never actually does yeah and that he's too scared to approach his dad and have that have that face-to-face conversation but he still goes and does the play Right, he does the play, and turns out that his dad shows up at the play. First of all, he's he's a knock. He's a, unbelievable in this play. He is yes. the standout in this play. He's really good. Yep. And his dad shows up. His dad shows up at the end, and you know jerks him out of the 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 post play party. You know it's going on backstage, and stuffs him in the car, and brings him home, and says, you know, you uh, I can't believe you've done this. You know, and we're putting you in military school. Yeah. And that's happening tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, so take us through what happens. The, the, so, for the he rest goes, of that. so, so he actually gets in a little bit of a yelling match with his dad. And, you know, he says, well, I got to tell you what I want. And then his dad says, well, what do you want? And then he's silent. He doesn't say anything, which I thought was a very interesting uh, point because He's able to do that with Mr. Keating, but not with his dad. And uh, but he got to the point where he almost could have. And you feel like if he had one more day, he could have done it. The yep. the next sequence that goes on, he he goes on. They uh, go to sleep, and and uh, suddenly you see uh, the father get woken up by hearing a sound, and it turns out that Neil Perry has killed himself, shot himself, yes. uh, to death. So. Yeah. And I never saw that coming. No, I did not see that coming. And that was when I saw this movie when it first came out, and I was still in, uh, you know, the throes of uh, of the high school thing. And uh, it, I didn't see that coming at all. And it was so it was a very very poignant thing for me. I never considered that as an option, right? Uh, to what might happen, and then everything just sur- suddenly spirals out of control. Of course, yeah. Um, and so you so, get uh, you get. Uh, Richard Cameron, uh, who's who's uh, kind of in the periphery of the movie for most of the movies, this redheaded kid that yeah. you know is always saying, "Well, we really shouldn't be doing this," and he's always very cautionary, and he's this guy that's always kind of uh, you know hedging, and it turns out that he's the first guy to crack and and, and turn, rat out Mister and, uh, and rats out Mister Keating, yeah. and and then the whole thing, of course, is just uh, you know just 
completely spirals, yeah. uh, as, as you said, to the to the end of the movie where, uh, you know, Mr. Keating comes to get his personal things from the classroom and uh, the headmaster of the school is not letting him say anything to the students on his way out. And, uh, and then, of course, Todd Anderson, as you already alluded to, stands up and says, oh, captain, my captain. Yeah. And gets up on his desk and and stands there and gets you know the rest of the or probably half of the class stands with him while the headmaster is trying to shout them down off the desk. Yeah, <laughs> which which is uh, amazing to see him taking the uh, taking the initiative there, and it's it's uh, it's just fantastically well filmed. Um, yes, I, I have to mention I I. I went down to Middleton, Delaware, uh, a number of years ago, and I happened across the school where this was shot, and walked through. And you know what? They really didn't have to do very much to to make the place look the way it looks in the in the movie, but uh, uh, all of those, uh, the entire movie is shot maybe within uh, 500 feet of sort of sort of a central point. There, there's, uh, and it's it's that place out where you have the uh, you know the 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 grass down to the water, and then you've got the building right behind it. All of it is shot in that tiny little thing. And there are big parts of the school that are obviously much more modern and not included. But it is it is striking how how well that uh, the place was made to um, kind of bring you back in time. You can just walk in there and 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 check it out and go see some of these uh, classrooms and. Uh, you know the little courtyard where they walk, and and uh, I mean it's just an amazing place. It takes you back in time. Still looks like uh, it must have looked back in the the fifties. Uh, yeah, quite amazing. I was never able to find the old Indian cave though. <laughs> um, <laughs> and incidentally, the the community theater where uh, Neil Perry acts is actually the one of that little theater in Middleton, Delaware, right sort of in the downtown. It's probably like a mile from the school. It actually is the one where he would have gone. You could ride your bike there, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty close to, I, it's amazing that, that how well this story matches with this location. It seems that scouting yeah. locations, I mean, this was just a, just a gold mine. Obviously when you watch the movie, it's, it's very rich. Yes, um, I agree. And it, it all just sort of happens. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a great movie. And, yeah. Uh, one that if you haven't seen, I would put it on the must-see list. Yeah, and you should go back and see it again if you haven't seen it in a long time because it is uh, it is that good. I loved rewatching. I mean, I haven't seen this movie in 10 years. And yeah, I, it's, I, it's probably been 15 at least for yeah. me since I've seen it. So Yeah, it's fantastic. So what are, gonna, it. what are we going to watch next week? We haven't really talked about it. But I don't gotta, know. We haven't. We haven't. We've got to figure that out. So I'm, should, I'm, how, what do you think about doing a uh, Spike Lee movie? Uh, done. Let's do uh, let's do Love do it. the right thing. Do the right thing. Absolutely. Sounds okay. good. All right, so for next week do the right thing and we will uh we will have uh you know our show we're doing this uh on a weekly schedule. Uh we're usually recording Wednesday or Thursday-ish. Uh so look for us consistently. We will be producing these consistently. Look for us online on iTunes. Search for 350third.com 353rd uh, sorry, not .com. Online, we're 350-third.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Um, and you can find me. I'm Anders94 on Twitter. And what are you, Scott? I am Scott Barstow on Twitter. And uh, we thank, uh, thanks to everybody for the comments that have been coming in. Uh, we'd love to see your comments on iTunes. And uh, thanks a lot for listening. Absolutely. So, Take time. I'll, until next week, Anders. Sounds great.